Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me in the Betters Box. This is ATS.io's MLB betting podcast for Thursday, July 1st. I'm your host, Adam Burke. Things may sound a little bit different today. Don't have my regular editing software with me, so one-shot deal here. No mistakes. Hopefully going to get through today's show without any sort of hiccups here. Make sure you head over to ATS.io and check out the daily article, which has a format change now. My picks in individual preview format, so you can check that out over there at the website. Make sure you download the ATS app as well, which you can find in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. It's a bet tracker, an odd screen, a stats database. You can read the articles from ATS.io right there in that app. A very powerful resource to have at your fingertips to be sure. So make sure you download that today and check out all the other content that we have going on right now over at ATS.io covering the NBA and NHL playoffs, golf previews, NASCAR previews, no UFC for this weekend, but we do have previews for that on Fight Weeks, so make sure you head over to ATS.io and check out everything that we have to offer. All right, down and dirty, a little bit of a quick show here on Thursday. We'll start with a look beyond the box score, then go down the lines, talk about some line moves that we've seen from the last few days, including today, give you a pick for tonight's action, and then a preview of the weekend ahead. So let's go ahead and start with a look here beyond the box score, and This is inspired by a tweet from Codify Baseball, and I've talked about them before here on the show, at Codify Baseball, that's C-O-D-I-F-Y Baseball. And they were talking about the big uptick here over the last few days in terms of home runs on four-seam fastballs. Now, as I've been discussing here with this foreign substance crackdown with what's happening with spin rates and all of that, look, sliders, curveballs, change-ups, all just inherently difficult to hit. You can't barrel on them as well. They are pitches that move a lot more, stuff like that. The biggest reason for this league-wide decrease in offense has been performance against fastballs. And it's been, you know, the the neutralization of the platoon advantage. It's been shifts. It's been all sorts of different things, but also increased velocity and increased spin rate. And those two things do go hand-in-hand. Now, we are seeing pitchers throw harder ever since the crackdown on foreign substances But spin rates are obviously down around the league. We know that to be the case. That's been discussed ad nauseum at length, pretty much anywhere you consume baseball content. But as far as home runs on four-seam fastballs go, now that the month of June has wrapped up here, April 348, May 395, June 400. And interestingly enough here, over the last three days of the month of June, uh, we saw, what was this here, 67 home runs. Over the last three days of June, on four-seam fastballs alone, 46 on June 28th and 29th was the tweet from Codify Baseball. That was the most in any two-day sample over the course of the season here. And when I looked over at StatCast, did a custom search at BaseballSavant.com, I found that there were 21 additional home runs on four-seam fastballs here on Wednesday to finish out the month. So again, this is what I've been harping on with regards to spin rate, where Four-seam fastballs are the most affected pitches. 336 home runs hit in the last 10 days since umpires started checking for substances, not just on fastballs, but overall around the league dating back to June 21st. But fastballs being a really big part of that. I mean, look, when I ran the query here today at Baseball Savant, there had only been 516 home runs on sliders for the full season. So we had 400 on four-seam fastballs alone in the month of June. So that kind of illustrates 
how much easier it is to hit for power on fastballs than sliders, than other forms of breaking balls and all of that. So that's really the biggest thing here with regards to spin rate. And one of the reasons why a couple of weeks ago on the show, I talked about the list of pitchers that are very fastball dependent and how those are guys that maybe you want to take an extra look at for some negative regression here as this spin rate crackdown keeps going. And of course, over the first 10 days, only one pitcher caught and suspended. That was Hector Santiago. I believe another pitcher had his hat confiscated, something like that. But, you know, look, even though Major League Baseball not handing out punishments right now, the pitchers certainly do seem to be punished, whether it's of their own accord by not using these substances, uh, just, you know, the fear of getting suspended without pay, or just you know, Major League Baseball actually doing something about this after saying something in spring training and then finally following through here in the month of June. Wanted to have a little bit of fun on today's show with some stats over at BaseballReference.com. We talk a lot about fan graphs on the show, a lot about Baseball Savant, which is the home of StatCast data on the internet. Talk about a lot about those two sites, but Baseball Reference has some really interesting things as well. And of course, it is a very extensive stats database to say the least there's a lot of stuff at all of the reference sites I do use the basketball hockey and football ones quite a bit more than I use the baseball one just simply because I prefer the presentation of data at places like Fangraphs and Baseball Savant but Baseball Reference does have a lot of good stuff there and I'll run through some random stats of interest intrigue some things with some possible betting impact and of course make sure you email me skatingtripods at gmail.com if you want to get on the list for the betters box show notes, because I will be running through a lot of stats here, a lot of numbers and all that sort of thing. So let's go ahead and start with a stat that was very interesting. And the reason why it caught my attention actually is because my Indians who have a pretty poor offense overall actually grade pretty well in this metric. And it's called RS percentage that stands for run scored percentage. So percentage of times a base runner eventually scores a run. And when you look at the top teams here in this metric, the Red Sox and the Astros lead the league at 35%, and these are rounded to the nearest percent. So they are ranked in terms of you know rounding up or down, you know, uh, tenths of a percentage, all of that, but they are presented to the nearest percent. So Red Sox and Astros, 35%. Rays, White Sox, Angels, and the Indians, at 34%. So the Indians, when they get runners on base, have actually done a pretty good job of scoring them relative to the league average, relative to the top offenses that are out there. The problem is they don't put nearly as many runners on base as the Red Sox and Astros, as the Rays, White Sox, and Angels, and even as the Rockies, Reds, and Jays, who are in the next grouping there at 33%. So the Indians are cashing in opportunities to a decent degree when they get them, the problem is they don't really get a whole lot of them. So in terms of percentage of times a base runner scores, Red Sox and Astros, as I set up at the top, 35%. Rays, White Sox, Angels, Indians, 34%. Rockies, Reds, and Jays, 33%. Now the bottom of that list, the New York Yankees at 26%. And this one makes sense. I've talked about their struggles with men in scoring position in the past. So that's not really that big of a surprise here. The Pirates and the Mets in the next group at 27%. Nationals at 28%. Rangers and Tigers at 29%. So just kind of an interesting metric to take a look at because, again, this is about base runners. So this takes home runs out of the equation. This is about 
do you get them on, get them over, get them in? Kind of that, you know, old school philosophy to scoring runs in baseball. Well, not that these teams are sacrifice bunting or anything like that, but just simply to say that these are the best teams in terms of scoring base runners. So home runs taken out of the equation in this metric with the Red Sox and Astros at the top and then the Yankees at the bottom at 26%. And again, you know, this is kind of an indicator to a degree of performance with men in scoring position and stuff like that, you know, kind of doing the little things, paying attention to the details. You know, it's not just a lack of power that makes for a bad offense. You know, you, you get a high strikeout rate, that makes for a bad offense. But when you look at the Yankees specifically, they don't strike out a lot. They do generate a lot of base runners with walks. They're just not cashing in those opportunities. That is something I would expect positive regression from, certainly regression to the mean. But to this point in time, we have not seen anything of the sort from the New York Yankees. Another stat that I find really interesting over at Baseball Reference, and this is the only place I've really been able to find this stat, it's XBT percentage, which stands for Extra Bases Taken Percentage. So that means going first to third, second to home, first to home on a single, or going first to home on a double. Or maybe taking an extra base, going to third, something like that. Uh, But this is about extra bases taken. And this is a really important metric, I think, for a variety of different reasons. One of them is, look, I don't think base running prowess is factored into the line for a handicap. I mean, you know, that's part of the total offensive profile of a team. But I don't think that it's factored in really at all. I don't think fielding is factored in. I don't think base running factored into these numbers or really a lot of the line moves that are out there either. So I thought this list of teams was pretty interesting here. Again, this is teams going, you know, first to third, second to home, first to home on singles, first to home on doubles, extra bases taken percentage. The Rays and the Oakland A's, tops in the league at 48%, White Sox and Rockies, 47%. Indians, Braves, and Tigers at 45%. So it makes sense here that the Indians are scoring their base runners because they've got guys going first to third, first to home on doubles, all of that. So this is a team that does manufacture some run scoring opportunities on the bases by being a good base running team. Same thing for the Tigers. They don't hit for a lot of power at all, but they're taking some of these extra bases, giving themselves better opportunities at scoring runs. You know, you go first to third on a single, you don't necessarily have to get a hit to score that run. So I think this is kind of an important metric, uh, especially because as we look around Major League Baseball now, with that aforementioned spin rate crackdown, the strikeout percentage is down across the league. And so you're going to have more base runners here. So the teams that are more adept on the bases should be able to not only create more opportunities, but capitalize on more of those opportunities as well. So again, the Rays and the A's leading the league in that department. Of course, two you know, small market teams. Also the Indians, a small market team. Uh, the Rockies, they don't spend a lot of money. They're a small market team. So those are teams that, you know, they have to find surplus offensive value somewhere. And being good on the bases is something that certainly can help. Now the bottom of the extra bases taken percentage list, here we find the Yankees again at 31%. Uh, The Twins at 33%, Mariners 34%, Phillies and Nationals 36%. These are what commentators would call station-to-station offenses. You know, not very skilled in the base running department. A lot of guys that only go first to second on a single, first to third on a double, stuff like that. So those are teams that don't really manufacture a whole lot of offensive opportunities on the bases. 
you know, you look at a team like the Twins, they're able to score because they hit for a lot of power. But you look at a team like the Yankees here, and again, they're not paying attention to the details. They're not scoring base runners. They're not taking extra bases. And there are some guys that do kind of clog up the base paths for them a little bit. But ultimately, this is just another example of the Yankees not capitalizing on their offensive chances. And there are a lot of things wrong with this offense. There are a lot of indicators that suggest that they should be better, including their contact quality metrics, like I've talked about a lot here before on the show. But for whatever reason, you know, they, they don't run the base as well. They, they don't perform well with men in scoring position. So these are things that they need to address. These are things where maybe they need to try to get a little bit more aggressive out there on the bases. So I think that's a really interesting metric. And these can be kind of matchup dependent handicapping angles where, you know, if you're looking at the Rays or the A's, right, and they're facing a pitcher that gives up a lot of hits and a lot of walks, they're going to put a lot of pressure on that pitcher, on that defense in those situations because they are good base running teams. They are able to take those extra bases. So this is something that I didn't really look at up until this point, but I will file away here and, and try to utilize this a little bit you know, when they take on pitchers that have, you know, maybe a 10% walk rate and also give up a lot of hits, something like that, they're going to create and manufacture scoring opportunities. The White Sox have done this all year long. The White Sox don't hit for power. I mean, they really, truly don't. But they put a lot of balls in play. They draw some walks. They hit a lot of ground balls. They can go first to third on those singles through the hole and all of that. So this is some matchup-dependent handicapping stuff where... You know, the Yankees maybe face a guy who gives up a lot of hits and walks, but they're not capitalizing in those situations. So maybe you kind of lower your projection for them offensively in that kind of matchup. I think this is stuff that can be valuable. You know, it's it's a lot of stuff to keep in mind. There are, are so many layers to a baseball handicap. But I do think that, you know, base running is something that is you know, not really accounted for in the betting markets and maybe something that we do need to look closer at especially with the strikeout percentage going down now as a result of the spin rate crackdown. Something else I thought was interesting I took a look at today at Baseball Reference was home run splits, seeing how teams do hitting for power either at home or on the road, and I'll just rattle these off here. First, we'll start with teams that hit for a lot more power at home than they do on the road, and there are some very interesting ones here on this list. The Atlanta Braves have hit 70 home runs at home and they've only hit 44 home runs on the road. Now, of course, there could be, and I didn't go through and look at this, there could be some you know, differences in terms of maybe playing six or seven more games at home, something like that. But that's why I only key down on the biggest outliers, ones with the biggest gaps between home and road power numbers. And of course, down in Atlanta, the ball travels very well. That's not a big surprise. The Braves have been a good offensive team at home throughout the entire Major League Baseball season. This one did surprise me a little bit, though. The San Francisco Giants have hit 68 home runs at home. They've hit 48 home runs on the road. Now, Oracle Park not thought of as a good offensive park, but the Giants hit very well there last year in the short season. They've done very well here at home so far as well. But being plus 20 in home run differential at home against on the road is very interesting to me. And the thing about it is I would probably look for their road offense to actually get a little bit better because this is a top five offensive unit in baseball, a lot of contact quality, uh, definitely something to keep in mind there with the San Francisco Giants. The Los Angeles Angels, 66 homers at home, 44 on the road. 
Another one that surprises me because Angel Stadium, not really a great venue for hitting for power, but the Angels plus 22 in home run differential at home on the season. Also the Dodgers, 62 home runs at home, only 41 on the road, uh, being plus 21 in home run run or home run differential. Pretty interesting there for them. Where you know again, Dodger Stadium, not a bad offensive park by any means, but you know certainly tilted uh, for the Giant or for the Dodgers, excuse me, towards hitting for power at home. A couple other ones here: the Brewers. They've hit 56 home runs at home, and only 42 on the road. And they are one of the worst home offenses in baseball, but they've hit a lot of home runs at American Family Insurance Park, whatever the hell it's named now. I'm still going to call it Miller Park forever, as I'm sure most people uh, in Milwaukee are still doing. But again, their home offense, not particularly good, but they've hit 14 more home runs at home. So I thought that was a pretty interesting split there. And lastly, the Chicago White Sox, who, as I mentioned, don't really hit for a lot of power anyway. It's the 46 home runs at home that kind of catches me off guard a little bit but especially the 32 home runs on the road where, as I mentioned, they just don't hit for power. They hit a lot of ground balls. Uh, Not really my favorite offensive profile, but it certainly has been something that has worked for them. Now, as far as teams that have hit a lot more home runs on the road, the Tampa Bay Rays have only hit 39 home runs down at the trot, but they've hit 60 on the road. I've talked about this before. They're a chameleon. They play much differently on the road offensively than they do at home. They're a lot more aggressive on the road. They try to work the counts more, draw some more walks at home. So not really a big surprise there with the Rays, but 60 home runs on the road and 39 at home. The Mariners, 43 home runs at home, 55 on the road. Tigers, 52 home runs on the road, 34 at home. Comerica Park, very big, very spacious. Not a team with a lot of power anyway. And of course, you know, a bad weather city. Uh, in the cold months of April and the early parts of May. So that has an impact as well, but it's just not a good park for home run hitting. Neither is Bush Stadium, where the Cardinals have hit 34 home runs. They've hit 50 on the road here. And then the Mets, once again, City Field in Queens, not a great hitter's park. 28 homers at home for them, 46 on the road. But of course, the Mets missing a lot of key guys from their lineup over the course of the season here. So that has kind of contributed as well. But You know, again, those home road splits with home runs. Important things to take a look at. We've seen the betting markets kind of pay a little bit more attention to those home road splits here so far this season. I've talked about that a lot on the show and also in my written content. I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. So you definitely want to pay attention to these home road splits and see if you can find some betting value out of those. So I've talked about, you know, kind of paying attention to the details. Teams that don't really do that particularly well. Here's something that's extremely frustrating for betters, extremely frustrating for fans, players, teams, everybody involved. The runner on third with less than two outs. You know, those situations where you don't necessarily need a hit to score a run. You can hit a sacrifice fly. If the infield's back, you can hit a ground ball. Really, you just got to put a ball in play and and really hope for the best. Hope that it's not a pop-up or a missile right at somebody, something like that. The league average percentage of times that the runner scores from third with less than two outs is 49.9%. So this is not a gimme by any means. It's basically a coin flip, a 50-50 proposition, whether or not that runner scores from third with less than two outs. The top five teams in the league at doing this, Cincinnati Reds, 57.4%, Chicago Cubs, 55.6%, Houston Astros, 55.3%, 
San Diego Padres, 55.1, and Kansas City Royals, 54.2. So some good offenses in there, some not so good offenses in there, but offenses that are at least paying attention to the details, putting balls in play with a man on third and less than two outs, stuff like that. Now the bottom of this list is of interest to me because the Mets are at the bottom at 42%. Yankees, 42.1, another example of the Yankees just not paying attention to the details, not doing the things that they need to do. Nationals, 43.9%. Tigers, 44.7%. And the Orioles, 45.3%. So again, league average, 49.9%. So you've got the top five and the bottom five there. And once again, the Yankees, you know, showing up in a, in a negative offensive statistic here. I don't know what the issue is with this team, but you know, they just don't pay attention to the little things. Maybe it gets Aaron Boone fired. Maybe it leads to you know, a philosophical change, something like that. I think Brian Cashman is a great GM, but I, you know, I wonder if he looks at these things and just kind of you know, wonders, where would we be if we were paying attention to the little things, paying attention to the details, and taking care of our business the way that we should? Lastly here, stolen base percentage against. You know, I talked about base running and the fact that I think it's a very important metric, something that I don't factor into my handicapping enough, something I don't think a lot of people factor into their handicapping enough. But when we look at this stat, stolen base percentage against, I mean, we're talking about, look, you think about stolen bases, right? And the impact that they can have. You go from first to second, you can score on a single now. You're now in scoring position. You go from second to third, you could potentially score without a hit. Stolen bases are a big deal. And in the, you know, last, basically since the steroid era, you know, it was harder to steal bases because getting thrown out was a lot costlier than it used to be. You know, when offense was way down in the 70s and 80s, stealing bases was very important because it was hard to get hits. Well, now, you know, it's still kind of hard to get hits, but you don't want to take a runner out of play with all the home runs and things like that. So, you know, maybe the stolen base makes a comeback if we see this depressed offensive environment kind of continue. But it is something that when it happens can be very impactful. So we look at stolen base percentage against, guess who's at the bottom of the list? The New York Yankees. Teams are successful 87% of the time on stolen base attempts against them. 87%. And we know that Gary Sanchez is a terrible defensive catcher. We all know that. But their pitchers don't really hold guys on either. 87% is an outlandish number. So here are the Yankees, another example of them just not paying attention to the details of the game and it really impacting them in a negative way. The Padres are next, 85%. Their starters just don't hold runners on very well. Mariners and Blue Jays, 84%. Angels, Phillies, and Red Sox, 83%. So the break-even rate for a stolen base, at least for stealing second, is in the 72 to 73% range where you've got to be successful that often to break even in terms of run expectancy and all of that. Well, these teams are well above that mark, and and that's a problem. You know, you need to control the running game better, especially if you're a team like the Yankees that doesn't score, you know, a lot of runs. The Mariners, same thing. They can't be giving up these things. You notice some offenses on there that aren't worried about having to try to out-hit the opposition, but still, you know, the details are very important And there are just teams that are not paying enough attention to them for this season. And again, it's just very disconcerting to see the Yankees keep popping up on these lists. The best team is the Indians at 61%. So the Indians, who don't score a lot of runs, 
you know, doing what they can, paying attention to the details, getting runners in, taking extra bases, all that kind of thing. You know, this stuff matters. And it's a reason why the Indians, one of the biggest overachievers in baseball this season, they're, you know, cutting down the run game. They're taking extra bases themselves. So these are things that really have helped the Indians to the record that they currently have. The Cardinals and the Orioles, both 64% stolen base percentage marks against. Then the Nationals and the Astros at 65%. So, you know, just kind of some fun with numbers here, things from baseball reference. But I do think that there are some chances here to look for hidden surplus value, to look for some matchup-based handicaps, look for some helpful things in this decreased K percentage environment, all of that. So some good stuff here, I think. Some stuff to keep in mind, you know, again, maybe it's something you just kind of file away in the back of your mind, and as you start handicapping the card, you remember, oh, yeah, Adam talked about that on the show. So... Again, just things that can be part of that whole handicapping process. All right, so we take a look down the lines here, talk about some line moves that we've seen dating back to Tuesday. Some interesting money moves out there. Not a lot of great series this week. We've seen a lot of big favorite roles, not a lot of overly competitive uh, series and, and games here. But you know, we did see some interesting line movement across the card for Tuesday. Vince Velasquez and the Phillies taking money against the Miami Marlins and Trevor Rogers, I thought was very interesting. Uh, the Marlins, one of the biggest underachievers in baseball, based on all the alternate standings metrics. Rogers, a very good starter, and yet the Phillies took the money in that game on Tuesday and did win that game. I believe four to three was the final. Uh, so the money was right in that game, but a uh, line move that really caught me off guard kind of surprised me quite a bit. A line move that didn't surprise me on Tuesday: Brandon Woodruff and the Brewers taking a lot of money against Zach Davies and the Chicago Cubs. Brewers did sweep that series. Hopefully, you're able to get involved and cash a couple of tickets in that one or a series price, something like that. The Yankees took money against the Angels in basically all four games. They've taken a little bit of money here on Thursday as well. Not big line moves necessarily, but things that have been noticeable, I would say. So the Yankees taking a lot of money. Again, they don't pay attention to the details. Yeah, they've got some positive indicators in the profile, but they are a team just not living up to their expectations right now, and yet they still keep taking money pretty often in the betting markets. So some heavy money on the Blue Jays for their game between Chris Flexen and Robbie Ray. That was the Jays and the Mariners in that one. Not a big surprise, and Toronto comes away with a 9-3 victory there. Nick Pavetta and the Red Sox took some money on Tuesday. That was against Brad Keller and the Kansas City Royals. Again, not a surprise with that line move. Brad Keller has been terrible. Uh, the Royals have not played well here of late. So the Red Sox taking a lot of money there in that one. Oakland took some money with James Caprellian on the mound. That was largely a fade of Mike fulton -Evich. Had the run line in that one in the article. Didn't come through. In fact, the A's lost that game outright. Uh, but the fade of fulton -Evich on the road is something I would look to, to, ha to have excuse me, in all of his upcoming road starts, to say the least. So that's a line move that we can expect to see whenever Fulte's on the road. I'm not sure where he is this weekend, but you know, if he's on the road, expect money to come in against him for that game. Also on Tuesday here, we saw a fade of Rich Hill. Rich Hill with the decreased spin rates, not really a great-looking profile there. We also saw over money in that game against the Nationals with Joe Ross on the other side. Uh, the full game didn't get there. Uh, the first five did. The full game did not get there. Uh, but you know, money coming in against Rich Hill, another thing I would expect to see as we go forward here. Wednesday, we saw some Cardinals money. That was Quang Hyung Kim against Riley Smith. 
not really a big surprise there. The Diamondbacks have actually lost 48 of 56 games over the last two months. They were 3-24 and in the month of June. Uh, not a, a very good look for the Diamondbacks yet again as the Cardinals swept them in St. Louis. John Gray and the Rockies took money on Wednesday as well. And, you know, I'm on the Rockies for today. Go ahead and throw you out the pick for today. I'm on the Rockies. I'm fading Adam Wainwright on the road. But the Rockies pitching staff has been significantly better at home here for this season. They've apparently committed to figuring out how to pitch at Coors Field, where they've actually been pretty competitive. They have the worst road ERA in baseball, but they've been pretty good at home, all things considered with the conditions and all of that. John Gray, one of those guys with good home road splits. So Gray took some money on Wednesday. We were on the Rockies on Wednesday. We're on the Rockies again on Thursday here, uh, but they did cash that ticket for us yesterday. Heavy money on Joe Musgrove and the Padres. That was a range-shortened game against Vladimir Gutierrez. Still had 12 runs, even though the game only went into the top of the sixth. Uh, but the Padres do get that win uh, as that game called due to rain. Heavy Blue Jays money once again on Wednesday. Uh, we're going to see a lot of Mariners fades as we go forward here. I've talked about them. Big overachiever based on all of the alternate standings metrics and all of that. So... Seeing money on Toronto on Wednesday, not really a big surprise. Seeing money in Toronto on, uh, or no, Toronto's not playing the Mariners today. Uh, but, you know, this is one of those things where Seattle is a team that will get faded a lot. Big overachiever, great record in one-run games. You know, this is one of those teams you want to look for line moves with, and you want to get out in front of those as much as you possibly can. This one did lose but this was a line that moved about 40 or 50 cents yesterday. Uh, I had the over in this game, 9-7 final for the Mariners. So that was a nice pick there. But money will come in against Seattle quite a bit as we go forward. And then lastly, so we saw some twins money with Bailey Ober against Dylan Cease. Dylan Cease, a guy with decreased spin rates here over the last little while. So maybe the market kind of looking to fade him a little bit. Maybe that's what it was related to. Uh, but the White Sox did end up with that win there. Some line moves here for Thursday. Uh, the total between Pablo Lopez and Zach Eflin has gone down from 8 to 7.5 for some day baseball in Philadelphia. Some early evening baseball, I should say. Uh, the Castillo line move in the game between the Reds and the Padres. Part of this one, I'm on Castillo and the Reds for the first five. Uh, that's a fade of Ryan Weathers primarily, but also Luis Castillo with a really good month of June. Some people kind of buying some stock in him. Can't say that I disagree with that, as his left on base percentage over the first two months of the season was very, very low. If he gets some positive regression with that, should be a much better pitcher here going forward. Jacob deGrom and Ian Anderson get together today between the Mets and the Braves, and that total has gone up from six to seven out there in the betting markets. So maybe the Braves going to hit Jacob deGrom? I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens in that one. Uh, the Rockies are taking money today. That's a game, as I mentioned, that I'm on. That's a fade of Adam Wainwright on the road. Completely agree with that line move. Uh, now you can read about that one over at ATS.io. And lastly, a lot of Johnny Cueto money on the Giants today against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, that's my other play for today. I'm on the under nine in that one with Merrill Kelly going for Arizona. All right, so take a look at the weekend preview here. and We start with the Dodgers and the Nationals. Tony Gonsolin and Patrick Corbin tonight. Julio Urias and Max Scherzer tomorrow. Clayton Kershaw and Paulo Espino on Saturday. Trevor Bauer and Joe Ross on Sunday. Now, of course, we'll see if Bauer makes this start in light of the horrible allegations that came out uh, yesterday regarding you know potential sexual assault. Uh, if you've read the Athletic article, 
you know, certainly sounds like uh, a, a mess of a situation for all involved. We'll see what happens. We'll see if Major League Baseball steps in, prevents the Dodgers from using Bauer. I don't know what's going to happen with that, but you know, I, I hate talking about these things in the context of betting because they're they're so much bigger than that. Of course, we'll see if Bauer is able to make that July 4th start. Otherwise, you know, the Dodgers get a lefty tonight in Corbin. The Dodgers struggle with lefties, as we all know. Righties the rest of the way, though, after tonight. The Nationals have been hitting a little bit, but, man, that Urias and Scherzer matchup looks really, really good there on Friday. Kershaw and Espino on Saturday. You know, the Dodgers will be a big road favorite in that one. So not sure we'll have a ton of betting opportunities in this series, but we'll see how the Nationals do stack up as that offense has been playing quite well. The Astros and the Indians here. Framber Valdez and John Carlos Mejia, Lance McCullers and Sam Hentges, Jake Odorizzi, Eli Morgan, and then Zach Granke, and to be determined on Sunday for the Indians. The Indians have the bullpen advantage in this series, but that's it. And also the Indians, a big regression candidate, as we know. If you look at any of their alternate standings metrics, you can see that they are one of the biggest overachievers in all of baseball this season. And their recent schedule has been really friendly. Their most recent opponents have been the Tigers, Twins, Cubs for just two games, Pirates, Orioles, Mariners, Cardinals, Orioles. They play Houston this weekend. They play Tampa Bay starting next week. Uh, The Indians have a very difficult schedule up to the All-Star break and really throughout the month of July. So that's why I talked about what, you know, it's a good time to take a piece of the White Sox for a series, for a division future, maybe a pennant future, something like that, because they'll probably have a much bigger lead for the division by the time the All-Star break rolls around now that the Indians are playing a much more difficult schedule in the month of July. So I don't know if we'll get chances to fade Cleveland uh, against these good teams, but maybe we do get some here this weekend against the Astros, although Valdez already a massive favorite. Uh, for the game coming up here tonight. The Rays and the Jays. No, not Ray J, not a sex tape here. The Tampa Bay Rays and the Toronto Blue Jays. To be determined in Alec Manoa on Friday, Shane McClanahan, Ross Stripling Saturday, Ryan Yarborough, and Robbie Ray on Sunday. As I just talked about, you know, the Rays hit for a lot more power on the road than they do at home. Toronto obviously having a big offensive showcase with regularity now. Really interesting series, to say the least here. Blue Jays do get a couple of lefties in McClanahan and Yarborough. We'll see what the Rays do on Friday with their pitching setup. But, you know, Ross Stripling's turned it around. Robbie Ray's pitching really well. Could end up being a decent series for the Jays, but, you know, I'm not sure if there'll be a lot of betting value in this series. The Red Sox and the A's. You know, we've seen Boston struggle a lot out on the West Coast, and in particular in Oakland. You know, I think back to a few years ago, Oakland swept Boston at home when Boston was really good back in, I think, the World Series season of 2018. You know, it's just one of those things where going out to Oakland is tough. You know, it's a long trip, obviously. These teams taking this long trip for the first time, you know, since 2019. So that's a big part of it. But also, you know, nothing against the city of Oakland. But when you go out west, you're looking forward to going to L.A. or Anaheim or Seattle, you know, something like that. They got to play in Oakland, and it can be tough. You know, big cavernous ballpark, you know, subpar facilities, according to all the players and all of that. Wouldn't be totally shocked if Boston struggles in this series here. Eduardo Rodriguez and Frankie Montas on Friday, Garrett Richards and Cole Irvin on Saturday, and then Nick Pavetta and James Caprellian on Sunday. And look, I know 
money will come in against Garrett Richards on Saturday. I know that. Garrett Richards, big spin rate decrease, pitched poorly against the Royals, uh, pitched you know really poorly overall this season uh, now that the spin rate crackdown has taken shape. So I expect money to come in against Garrett Richards on Tuesday to be sure, or on uh, Saturday, excuse me. And then, you know, we'll see what happens with Eduardo Rodriguez. Big ERA and FIP splits on Friday. Uh, interesting series. May get some betting opportunities out of this one, I think. Lastly, the Mets and the Yankees as they rekindle the Subway Series. Taiwan Walker and Garrett Cole on Friday. Marcus Stroman, Michael King Saturday. Tyler McGill and Jamison Tyon in Sunday Night Baseball coming up here on July 4th. As I talked about earlier in the show, two underachieving offenses, teams that don't really pay attention to the details. The Mets at least have the excuse of the injuries. The Yankees have no excuses whatsoever. As far as coming out of Sunday Night Baseball goes, the Mets, they just host Milwaukee, so no real travel for them. The Yankees are off on Monday, so no situational angles coming out of Monday's game, like what we or coming out of Sunday's game, excuse me, like what we saw with the Cubs and the Brewers uh, this past Monday where we did get to cash a ticket on Milwaukee in that one. But, you know, look, I don't know what to do with this series. You know, I mean, the Yankees show some indicators, but as I talked about it at length, you know, they don't do the little things. They don't do little things to help themselves score runs. The Mets struggle to score, but both of these teams do have a lot of offensive potential. So we'll see if any of that comes to the forefront here in this series. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. Make sure you email me, uh, skatingtripods at gmail.com to get on the list for the Better's Box show notes. That'll do it for me. Everyone enjoy whatever you're doing for July 4th. Do it safely. Do it intelligently. Do it responsibly. Don't pull a Jason Pierre-Paul. Don't drive drunk. You know, want to make sure that everybody is back to listen to the next edition of the Better's Box here on Monday. So thank you so much for listening, everybody. And remember that you will never strike out when you're in the betters box.